This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the University of Rhode Island Online, who are offering a cannabis certificate program. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last year can open doors for your career. If you're already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the certificate program is 100% online and it can be completed in just two semesters. Learn more by visiting uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401-874-5280. Nick Audiello, he's running for Congress, joining a chorus of, what is it, like 35, 40 people right now, but... The big difference is that, it, and, and I, I'm not going to say it was surprising because that sounds somewhat demeaning or whatever, but but it was interesting, we'll say, to see that you had raised you know, some considerable dollars in recent times here. So welcome to the show, and uh, how about that? You're putting it together for real, man. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you, and, and thanks for having me on the show. Look, I think, first of all... We- I think everyone agrees that that money in politics is a problem and we've we've got to solve it, um, especially when you talk about some of the big outside money that, that we see in our political system. But the reality here is that if you want to get a message across to voters, that does cost some money. So I think if you are going to run a credible campaign, you need to demonstrate pretty quickly uh, that you have what it takes to put everything together, not just the money, but the team um, and and have a message that's going to resonate with voters. Why get into this race? Sure. I, you know, I got into this race because I'm really scared about what the next few decades have in store for Rhode Island families and for our country. Um, we've seen so much disruption in the last few years. Uh, but even before that, we were not in the strongest of positions in this country. Um, the cost of living has exploded, uh, but it was already difficult for families to to make ends meet before COVID happened. Um, so I'm really focused on making sure that we bring cost, the cost of living down for Rhode Island families from everyday goods, food, uh, things, everything at the store, but health care. Uh, and, and we're just having such a problem right now trying to get a handle on inflation. And by using the tools that we've used traditionally, it's not totally working. Um, and I think we're seeing that the economy fundamentally is transforming and that the old playbook is not necessarily what's going to get us uh, into a better future. I also think that climate change is a huge issue, not only for our environment, though, of course it is. Um, and we see that very clearly here in Rhode Island, for sure, as sea levels rise and, and coastal communities are facing damage today. Forget about what's coming in the future, but also in terms of the opportunity that it has in store for us here in Rhode Island. Um, you know, a lot of the industries that are going to be created by solving climate change and transforming our economy into a clean energy economy have huge implications for our families. Um, you're talking about thousands of jobs that will be created here in Rhode Island if we get some of this right. The offshore wind industry is already taking off, but there's so much more. We have some amazing manufacturers along the East Bay who are working on the kind of advanced materials that we need for this new economy. And, and there's just so much potential. So I'm not so much a doom and gloom person, though it is a daunting challenge that, that we are facing, not only as a state and a country, but as, as the world. Um, but I see so much opportunity in getting it right for our families. I also think that the crisis that our democracy 
is under right now uh, deserves a representative in Washington who will fight tooth and nail to protect our democracy, because without it, we can't solve any of the other problems we're facing. Um, and, you know, the fact that we have a president under indictment right now is just a very sad moment for our country. And it's yeah. not over yet. Uh, we have a huge amount of healing to do in this country. And we have a huge amount of work to do to fix the nuts and bolts of our democracy. Um, yeah. And then, of course, protecting civil rights is, is a huge issue. And they are under attack by the Republican Party nationally. And, you know, we saw an amazing result in Wisconsin this week uh, on in, in the judicial race there. But we need uh, the Democratic Party and as many like-minded independents and moderate Republicans across this country fighting for the basic civil rights of women, of LGBTQ people, of people of color across the country um, to make sure that we don't further roll back any of the rights that, that the Republicans are trying to, to roll back and that we push for a huge new effort in the coming decades to really get us to that founding promise of this country. Yeah, all that is definitely critical. There's really no question about it. And I think even for non-independents, non-Democrats, some Republicans, some who I guess call themselves libertarian, whatever the case may be, however you want to frame yourself, they're all relevant issues that are undeniably significant. Um, the question is, you know, what do you do? How do you, what is, you know, Nick Audiello, uh, Congressional District 1, you know, the probably newest, if not one of just a handful of new members of the Congress. What, you know, how do you, how do you take that vision or those, those points and turn them into some kind of tangible action? What's a, what's a specific solution to any one of them? Because you obviously are not going to single-handedly knock them all out in, you know, the first couple of years or first year, I guess, of this, which is what you would be initially serving. That's for sure. Uh, and, you know, the person who does win this race is going to have to take some time to build the credibility in Washington to be an effective member of Congress. We know how this how this works. And you saw, I think, some of the people who declined to run in this race not really have uh, the appetite to go in as a junior member of Congress. And so for me, right. even before you get to specific you know, bills that you would sponsor, that we could talk about that all day. It's about having a member of Congress who is able to go to Washington, build relationships with their colleagues, stand out from the crowd, and really be pushing across all of those issues and, and more. Um, but that takes time, for sure. And I think that's why it's really important that we send a new generation of leaders to Washington who are young, who have a vision of the next several decades that are coming down the pike and have the ability to be an effective member of Congress, which does take time to do. And, you know, I think it's exciting that we would have a delegation to the House of Representatives that would be exclusively in their 30s. Uh, if if I if I am so lucky to win this race. Um, and I think that says a lot about what Rhode Island sees for the future and a lot about what we will be able to do uh, for the country and for our state. And yeah. No, I, I I hear you. So I mean, it's also the reality of just the millennial experience, right? You know, here it's it's kind of overplayed sometimes, but I think it's really true. Nine eleven, endless wars, uh, market crash. You could even throw in the, the start of that, but the the tech bubble that burst, two thousand nine market crash, housing crisis, uh, the beginning of what ended up being an incredibly divisive political environment, 
COVID-19, uh, inflation, runaway capitalism, uh, housing market that's completely out of control. So you have these experiences that even as a, you know, a white dude have impacted you. Uh, I guess the question with them would be is, you know, we've got two people in our 30s, two people who are um, men, white men. Is that also the right decision for voters? Well, look, I think it's extremely exciting that this is the, the most diverse field of candidates that we have had for a seat in Congress. And, you know, I bring the perspective of the LGBTQ community to the race. Others bring other part, kinds of diversity to the race, which is is really, really exciting. And, you know, I think we had a member of Congress in David Cicilline, who was a strong advocate for, for progress uh, across all parts of this um, and, and was a strong advocate for diversity, equality. And I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to be that champion of progress for all Rhode Islanders. And, you know, I'm, I'm particularly excited to take up the mantle uh, from Congressman Cicilline on the Equality Act, which, you know, he has championed for years has passed the House, but it has not yet passed the Senate. Um, it will not pass the House again in this session for sure. Uh, and I think we need a very strong voice uh, fighting for the LGBTQ community. A lot of people probably don't know your background, especially those who are not inside politics people. Talk about that for a second. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I grew up here. I'm native Rhode Islander, fourth generation. Um, and we had to leave Rhode Island when I was 16 years old. My dad owned a small business in Warwick uh, that was kind of a canary in the coal mine for what was coming uh, as our economy started to unravel. He owned a jewelry store and, you know, the first thing that people stop buying as the economy starts to to go into pain is stuff they didn't really need. Um, and so we lost quite a bit um, and, and we moved to Florida. My dad reinvented himself in, in the hospitality industry in Florida, but it was a very difficult and disruptive time for our family to, to lose everything, to leave home, uh, which no one wanted to do. And, and it was emblematic of what so many families were going through at that time during the, the financial crisis and, and how difficult it was because, because of decisions that were made about how to structure our economy uh, that fundamentally didn't put families first. Um, yeah. And, so that was my kind of defining experience as a kid here in Rhode Island. And I came home after I finished grad school to work in Governor Raimondo's administration, um, largely to try and help the next generation not have to go through that. And so I worked uh, on the commerce team in Governor Raimondo's administration, and I worked on a whole bunch of issues manufacturing, research and development, innovation funding, uh, small business support, all these things, uh, international trade that, you know, gave me a lot of hope for where we could go as a state, but also made it very clear how difficult it, it, it is to reinvent an economy like this. Um, and, but I'm proud of a lot of the progress that we made. We did some really, really amazing things. And it's not just the, you know, the shiny objects that everyone likes to, to talk about, the GEs and everything that, that showed up, but some of the real hard nuts and bolt work of you know, injecting money into our universities to work with the private sector to, to help spur new innovations and new companies, all these kinds of things that, that take, they kind of take years to do. Um, but when you plant the seeds properly will flourish. And I'm really excited to see what's starting to come out of, of a lot of these efforts. And it's really exciting. Um, when I left the governor's office um, and, and Commerce RI, 
I went into the private sector because climate change was something that I really wanted to work on with my hands, um, not just kind of in theory or as part of a, a bigger portfolio. Uh, and so I worked uh, across the private sector on building alliances to accelerate not only the transition of the private sector uh, from a terrible state today to a much more sustainable state in the future, but also how the private sector, the public sector, uh, charities around the world can work together to really accelerate that transition. Because uh, mm. at the end of the day, there's no government in the world with enough money on its own to transition us to a clean energy future. It's gonna take all of society, it's gonna take all of the economy to do that. And if you don't have the private sector understanding the opportunity that it presents, but also the severe disruptions that will be coming uh, if, if the private sector doesn't take action today, uh, you're gonna have a lot of problems in the future and we won't solve the problem. Right, that's the often overlooked aspect of all of this it's whether you're discussing blue economy green economy renewable thinking ahead thinking in terms of what are or what are often part of me categorized as progressive ideals uh the notion that this is positive in terms of its impact for our world in terms of the physical world in terms of the atmosphere in terms of the viability of the planet the survival of the species these conversations are very real they may not be as immediate as some project. They may be more immediate than some project. But the reality is also these are business initiatives that are critical uh, in a moment where, yes, there are advances taking place in certain super sectors. Uh, you can look at, obviously, in the technology sector, whether it's especially in the chips realm, which you're a member of the alumni, uh, the Ramundo Alumni Network. You cer certainly are aware of that. But the there's a great need now in our moment of post-COVID-19, although the, the, the virus isn't eradicated, the, the economic downturn that we experienced, we're ready to come out of it fully. And there's an opportunity that, it, in the case of Rhode Island, we're uniquely positioned for with the blue economy. Uh, we're uniquely positioned for in terms of the viability of long-term sustained efforts on a green, uh, or however you want to call it, clean energy economy. These are business opportunities. So I'm always surprised when I hear people who are opposed to some of these concepts. Yes, certainly there are arguments against certain aspects of it that I've heard. I think solar siting is something that we have to take a little bit of a better look at on a statewide basis. You can go and see certain communities that are impacted by panels that may not even be viable in five years, but we've clear-cut enormous amounts of forest. I think those types of arguments are reasonable. But the broad approach that, well, you know, if you're somehow like for wind turbines or you're somehow for the advancement of the blue economy or any in any aspect whether it's smart bay you name it uh you're some kind of uh, wild progressive and you you know you're living in la la land and we see biden approving drilling you know that that's because the electorate knows that he's going to be the better of uh you know two options uh in in when it comes down to a presidential so we can get away with it but there's business opportunities that exist in the clean economy as well. You seem to be tapped into that and understand how to bring those dollars back to Rhode Island. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And, you know, I think this is fundamentally, you know, look, I am absolutely an environmentalist. And I believe that, that solving climate change is not only the right thing for our families, but it's the right thing for the planet if we want to have a future for our kids. And I have a 15-month-old niece, and it terrifies me to think what the world will look like when she is a full adult. Um 
But absolutely. I mean, this is an opportunity and we need a member of Congress uh, who's going to be part of our delegation, who is bringing as much of the opportunity that is happening at the federal government back to Rhode Island, because we can absolutely be a leader here. Uh, like there is no question in my mind that in this transformation, Rhode Island, like it has been in the past at other points of economic transformation, can absolutely be a leader. That doesn't mean everything in the world will happen here, but it means that we can create thousands of really exciting, well-paying jobs for Rhode Island families that are going to set the course of prosperity for the next several decades in this state. And if we lose that opportunity, we are doing a disservice to our families. And, you know, for me, it's it's about the cost of living for sure, but it's also about the dignity of work that comes here. And, you know, there are so many jobs in our economy over the last couple of decades that have just fundamentally been meaningless, even if they paid well. I mean, you talk about, I'm sure you've got friends too, you know, you're a marketing manager at some tech company or whatever, like there's no meaning there. There is meaning in these jobs of transforming our economy, of transforming our energy system, of making the world a better place and being able to support your family while doing so that we haven't had in our economy for a long time. And I and I think that's a huge part of how we start to bridge some of the divide in this country too. Uh, yeah. we, you know, you, you see so much division and it's more than just political. We know that it's more than just political. There is cultural division. There, it, it, there's, you know, we start talking about these ridiculous ideas of a national divorce, and, and that comes from something more than just political. It comes for me from a deeper sense of emptiness that there is in our in our society, and, and there is an opportunity here in this transition to solve a lot of problems. And I'm excited to bring what we can back to Rhode Island and do our part here. You're running down the road. It's the, uh, let's say the 4th of July parade or something like that. You walk up to somebody, somebody says, give me, you got uh, 15 seconds. Why should I vote for you? What do you tell them? We need to send a new generation of leaders to Washington who are gonna continue Congressman Cicilline's record of progress for Rhode Island families, tackle the cost of living crisis, tackle climate change harder and faster than we already have protect our civil rights and make sure that this country is in a place to compete on the world stage uh, as there are challenges and pressures coming at us from all over. Quick couple of uh, lightning round questions here. Here we go. It's back. Welcome back to political season. The lightning <laughs> round is back. I think you're the first recipient of the lightning round. Minimum wage, give me a number. Uh, I think it should be tied to inflation for sure. Um, we should absolutely be getting to somewhere around $20 an hour um, as quickly as we can. And and then it should absolutely be tied to inflation. Um, I mean, if it was, it would be far above $20 an hour at this point. Um, it is ridiculous that you would set a, a minimum wage and the economy moves on uh, and it's just stuck there in statute, not being able to move until Congress says so or, and, or state legislatures when you're talking about state minimum wages. Um, so it should be tied to inflation. Geopolitical scope. Let's start Ukraine. What do we do? Well, we have to continue our support for Ukraine. Absolutely. Um, there is no question in my mind that this is a defining moment for our world that when we look back on it decades from now, uh, this will be a turning point. Um, because what this is about is a war of aggression that is about ideology, not land. Um, and so we have to ensure that that cannot 
move past Ukraine. It is heartbreaking to see what those people are going through every day for absolutely no reason at all, but Vladimir Putin's ego and his warped sense of the world. Um, and the idea that it would stop if we agree that, okay, you can have this little sliver of land in Ukraine and we trust you to, to stop. That's not going to happen. That's not who he is. That's not what he said. He has been explicit in what he has said and what he wants. He believes that Ukraine is not a real country um, and, and we have to stand with the Ukrainians. I do not think we should send American troops to Ukraine, uh, but we absolutely need to ensure that Ukraine wins this war. This is I'm going to kind of bundle a couple of things here. Israel, Palestine, Yemen. Uh, you can look at a number of situations on the continent of Africa. The U.S.'s role in engagements, occupations, perhaps, that are um, violating human rights on a regular basis. How do we thread that needle? We've got allies. We've got interests that are both uh, monetary and uh, I guess you would call them ideological but how do we thread that needle as a congressperson? What's your take on the U.S.'s role in proxy wars that are clearly, uh, in, in, at least at minimum, uh, displaying human rights violations on the part of the people that we're supporting? Yeah, it, it's a difficult issue for sure, but I think it's important that we put human rights front and center in our foreign policy um, as often and as frequent as we can. The world is a messy place. And let's be honest, it's we are never going to be perfect as long as we are sitting here uh, as the world's lone superpower. Um, but that may not be the case for very much longer. And let's think about what the alternative here is. There is zero chance that human rights will ever factor in China's engagement with the world. And you are seeing this already. You know, you're talking talk about some things happening in Africa. You have countries now across Africa that are in debt to China up to their eyeballs for the infrastructure money that they have provided. And, and it is, we do not want a world where what the Chinese Communist Party does at home is exported to other countries around the world. So the United States is by no means a perfect country. We have never been. Um, and I disagree with a huge number of the foreign policy decisions that have been made in the past. Uh, but we do have a very strong role to play in the world. Uh, and I think as a member of Congress, I will absolutely be fighting for diplomacy over all else and putting human rights at the center of our foreign policy. What about managing immigration? This isn't just about the, the, the boogeyman type aspect of this and the border security and, you know, kind of the Fox News version of it. Also, pathways to citizenship, pathways to to even green cards pathways to more access to visas for education or for um, you know business opportunities and then of course just the general ebb and flow of of the what some would describe the poorest nature of our border others would describe as the um, sad state of affairs at our border how do you manage immigration so first immigration has been the source of this country's economic strength the entire time we have existed so you know there is a portion of the the political spectrum in this country that believes that we should just stop letting people in uh which is a ridiculous idea um <laughs> it, it, it just it's talk, you talk about labor shortages that we are facing today and exactly. it's like we're missing the giant problem of it is extremely difficult to get into this country on a legal basis um and so we have to fix that no question um 
more fundamentally, if no, I don't know a single person who thinks that illegal immigration is a good thing, that, that it, it's not good for the migrants coming. It's not good for our economy. It's not it's not good for our families when we when they get here and not having the legal support that immigrants should have in this country. So I think we need a huge increase in the amount of legal immigration. So and we have to fix the system. And you can talk about whatever kind of compromise that that you want on this issue. The Republican Party is fundamentally not interested in solving this problem. Because as long as the boogeyman, scary immigrant image that they have painted across a huge swath of their electorate exists in people's minds, they have something to make people afraid of. And so we need to, and I think that's why it's so important that we take Congress back in 2024 and pass immigration reform as a hugely important and urgent issue in this country because not only is it an issue we absolutely have to solve for the good of people in this country and those who will come to this country, but we need to take the fear and division over immigrants in this country away as a political issue. All right, last one here. Healthcare, yeehaw. I mean, what is going on? You know, how do, what, What's your take on healthcare? Is it single payer? Is it something... Uh, different? I mean, what, what, where are you at with that? I am in favor of a public option uh, for all who want it. Medicare for all who want it is, is the, the route that I would absolutely take. I think we need to look, I, I don't think we should kick anyone off of a health care plan that they like um, and are willing to pay for themselves. But absolutely nobody in this country should go without health care because they can't afford it. And we absolutely have to fix that urgency. My, you know, my grandfather's in the hospital right now, and I'm watching this kind of up close in real time right now. And it's just you, you, there are so many problems in our healthcare system, from nursing shortages to how the billing system works. None of it works. None of it. A and we need a strong public option in the mix uh, that that can make sure that families are not worrying about the cost of healthcare at some of the most difficult moments in their families' lives. Nick Audiello, he's running for Congress. Um, hey, I'm sure we'll do this again and uh, probably see at the debates as well as we approach that. Welcome to an election year, an unexpected one. Here we go. Thanks, Bill. It was great to be with you.